Don't be that guy. Um, my favorite part of that video is one that didn't get any laughs, but it's when I go, hey, uh, so tell us about the flyer. And she's like, it wasn't a flyer. It was a postcard. I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, that was her testimony, so it was important to her. Uh, but no, I loved uh, hearing Sarah just sitting down with her, and it was just funny because it was cool to hear um, how God kind of works in people's hearts that we don't know what's happening. And she was like, you kind of heard her share that. She was like, maybe, you know, I'm not doing well, and I'm new here, and actually the idea of going to church sounds nice. It, but it took 17 flyers. You know what I mean? She actually said it was a nuisance. Isn't that cool? Um, or not cool? It's cool because it wasn't cool, but it ended up being cool. All right. And so that's kind of what we hope to do on Saturday is just to be the Lord's hand to knock on some doors and say, this is available. We're here. A friendly hello, which you heard uh, my good friend Brett say, not me or, you know, Ryan was too shy. He was the one that was too shy. You know, the hiding. Um, so just confidently in, in the joy of the Lord, being able to say, we're Solano Church. We're down the street. We'd love to see you. Here's a flyer. And who knows how God will use that. So come out Saturday and uh, look for an email from me more on some more details about that. And uh, yeah, so we're talking today about our sermon series is on loving is difficult. When loving is difficult. I was reminded of that already this morning when Martin stood up here and rooted for the Dodgers. And I was like, this is why we need this sermon series. I have to love that man. Um, but actually, it's actually been, and actually I was thinking about it. I'm like, when is loving not difficult? That's the question. When loving is difficult is like all the time. And it is always difficult. And actually, just to, I was thinking about this week. I've had a hard week, difficult 10 days. Some of you may have heard my uh, truck got stolen and, you know, it's the truck that we towed the RV with and it was my baby and it got stolen. And so the good news is, you know, insurance uh, will come in and hopefully settle for, you could pray for, they give me a good value. It's got 180,000 miles. It's a 2001. Normally you would think that's not worth hardly anything, but this is a diesel truck. So I'm expecting a good settlement. So pray for that. Um, but also my laptop like crashed this week. I was on a zoom meeting and it worked. I went to the meeting in the the room next door. I opened up my laptop, would not start just done. Um, and so I went to the genius bar and I was, I walked in and I'm like, Hey, I'd like to make an appointment. You know, I know I don't have an appointment. And normally what happens is they say, okay, you need to wait one to two hours for a walk-in, right? One to two hours, we'll give you a call. They get your number, and they're really nice about it. Like, they give you a text, you know, like 15 minutes before, and so you're ready. And so I normally do that, and they said, oh, we don't do that anymore. And you have to make an appointment. And so we have to look, and it's like, we don't have availability for like two weeks out or something. I was like, what happened? I used to do this. And he said, well, people used to get upset with us. We would tell them it would take one to two hours, And then they would get upset when it took one to two hours. They wanted it faster. And what he was telling me was people were impatient. People couldn't wait. When they were told one to two hours, that wasn't fast enough. And because of that, they had to, you know, uh, stop that service. No more walk-ins for Apple Genius Bar. Sorry, guys. Um, Now, 
normally we hear that and we say, okay, well, yeah, we're impatient. We're impatient people. And it's something that we tend to accept. Like even you heard Andrew last week say that when we talk about love, love is patient. We go, oh, I failed right there. But the problem is, is we don't necessarily, we kind of accept that we're impatient and we know we need it, but we don't try very hard to get it. We kind of are okay with this general feelings of impatience. And we just kind of have this, this impatience in our life. But the problem with that is, is that the Bible is going to say that patience is actually a big deal. It's a very big deal. In fact, let me ask you this. If you were going to write an essay on love, right? We do this in our home. We do these, we do these writing prompts with our kids where we give them a free write, they just write whatever they want about a, you know, based on a certain prompt. And the prompt for you is, what is love? And you just had to start writing. What is the first thing you would say about it? What is the first thing you would say about love? Well, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes an essay about love. He writes this, almost this poetic um, prose about what is love. And when he gets to the part where he's going to write this beautiful exposition of the nature of love, the very first thing he says about it is love is patient. I didn't expect that. I mean, I've read that verse many times, but I think most of us, if we were going to describe love and what it is, we wouldn't start with love is patient. That's where Paul starts. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the first thing love is, love is patient. So it is a big deal. And so I want to maybe understand why. Why is patience so important to the idea of love? And to understand why Paul starts off with love is patient, um, we can have a little bit of history. We can look at the, the context of the letter. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. Now, this is every letter to Paul. Every time you read a letter, he's writing to a specific church that has a unique set of circumstances. And it's actually really always fascinating to figure out what is going on, what is going on in that church. And so what we find out is that the Corinthians are, it's a really fascinating situation with the Corinthian church. First of all, the Corinthians are a port city in the... Um, I think it's the, uh, the Achaia, it's called the Achaia Peninsula, right? And so it is an extremely affluent, cosmopolitan, highly educated environment. And what Paul says, he doesn't say this about any other group. He says this only about the Corinthians. He says, he, he is amazed at how talented they are. He is amazed at how gifted they are. He says, you are like kings of this earth. You are like rulers. You are the princes of the Roman Empire, you Corinthians. You have everything, he tells them. In fact, Paul says, I was intimidated to come to you. He says, I spoke to you with much fear and trembling to be with the Corinthians. I was just this lowly Jew from Palestine trying to preach the gospel to you. And he says, I did it with much weakness and trembling. I wasn't even a good speaker. And so he's very, very impressed with the Corinthians. Um, and so the Corinthian church, they have a lot going for them. But there's a problem. 
When we see them in this letter, they're fighting. They are at each other. There are divisions. And so this is what Paul says about them. It says, it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there was quarreling among you, my brothers. Next slide. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment for you are quarreling. There is jealousy. There are, there are strife. There's divisions. So Paul has to help this church. And he's going to say to them, the arc of the letter, of the whole letter, kind of comes to this climax in verse 13, where he's going to say, you guys have it all. Like, I can't even think of a, a community that has more than what you guys have. But you're missing one thing, one main thing. You've missed almost the whole thing. You don't have love. You have nothing. You don't have love and then he's going to say the first thing is love is patient. And so I think what that means is the reason why he starts off with this is that when, when is loving difficult, anytime human beings come together to try and build a community of love, it's going to be hard. Anytime human beings come together to build a community the only way that's going to happen is when imperfect people practice patience. Let me say it like this. Love lasts when love is patient. Love lasts when love is patient. If love isn't patient, any relationship will break down and and regress and digress into quarreling and fighting. You will not be able to sustain any community or any relationship of value over the long run without patience. And I think that's why Paul starts off and says, love is patient. And so I think we long for that. I think we long to be able to plant ourselves in a community that is building itself up in love. That sounds so good. That's why we come to church, isn't it? Isn't that one of the deepest longings of our hearts? That's why we're involved in all these different, why we seek out different communities to be involved in, is because we want this community that we can feel like we are loved and cared for, we can love others. But that is going to require patience those communities will, will break down into fighting and division no matter how well off they are, no matter how great the, their, their environment and circumstances are, they will implode without patience. And so let's, look at a, let's get a definition of patience going. So I'll, I'm gonna give a kind of a dictionary-like definition. So this is, I looked at different definitions. This is the one I liked, kind of put it together. Patience avoids lashing out in the face of provocation. So I think that's one helpful way to think of patience. So when provoked, when something bothers you, you're able to withhold this idea of lashing out, right? And so it doesn't mean you're not bothered, but you're not going to do something out of anger or frustration, 
Okay, so patience, I think it was Joyce Meyer that's kind of famously said, patience is not about the waiting, but it's how you behave while you're waiting. It's how you handle the provocation that's something that bothered you. Don't lash out, right? And that could look like that means you don't lash out at the person, obviously, but nor do you, like, get bitter and complain and criticize behind that person's back, right? There's, there's this desire to not complain in like a really hurtful, negative way. So that's uh, uh, one uh, definition of patience. But I think we need to flush it out a little more. Because listen to how God is patient with us. And uh, I think Miguel alluded to this verse um, about him being slow to anger. And so it says in uh, first, uh, 2 Peter 3.8, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So notice what this is saying, is that God is not slow to fulfill his promises, um, it's Paul's, Peter's kind of addressing the fact that why hasn't God just come and ended all this pain and suffering? Why hasn't he just come and taken care of all the evil and ushered us into the kingdom? Well, it's because he wants as many people to come to repentance as possible. I heard a pastor say, and he said it so well, he said, why doesn't God end evil? He'd have to end us. And so God is desirous that everybody, as many people as possible, he's waiting for this good outcome in the future. And so he's enduring the evil and strife of this world so that as many people can know him. Because once judgment comes, that opportunity is over. So that's patience. So patience, yes, it's this, it's this suspending of lashing out, but it's also a suspending of judgment, which I'm going to call a decisive action or conclusion about something or some group of people. You're, you suspend judgment for as long as possible so that a good outcome can be achieved. You're willing to endure pain in the moment because you see in the future what it could be if you hold out with it. So I think that's patience. Um, Now, let me just briefly say what patience is not. Patience does not mean that we just swallow everything bad that happens to us or everything negative. We just swallow it. Don't say anything. That's not patience either. Um, Patience can look like addressing a problem without lashing out. Okay, so um, sometimes we still need to address something but it doesn't mean we just swallow it and never say anything for forever. That's not what I'm saying. And I understand that there's limits to patience. Sometimes patience is long-suffering, but there's a time when that has to end. How long that, that lasts, I don't know. Okay? The idea, though, is that just because there's a problem, we don't just say, I'm out. Patience is long-suffering. And somehow we have to discern, have we been long-suffering with this thing that we're a part of, with this person we're trying to love, with this group of people we're a part of. And of course, the great example of this is parenting. Of course, parenting is the perfect 
place to practice patience. And I was, uh, you know, I was reading a book on, on parenting, and he, he made a great point that he said there's one thing you cannot pass on to your children, and it's wisdom. It's wisdom. And what he meant by that is wisdom has to be experienced and learned over time. You can't force it. You can't force your 12-year-old to understand life like a 25-year-old or like a 40-year-old. More, you know, you just can't force it. They have to walk through that. And so um, Mark Twain famously said, uh, well, I don't know if it's very famous. I've never heard this before. <laughs> um, he said, when I was 14, it seemed to me that my parents did not know anything. But by the time I was 21, I was impressed at how much they had learned. So the point is, he was saying, as children will get it over time. And so parents practice patience, meaning they know that it can't be all great right now, but it, there is, a, there is a, a future and a trajectory where they will gain wisdom. You have to wait for that. You, and, and if a parent becomes too hard on their kids to have it all figured out when they're 14, they're going to do damage to that child. Okay, so patience is able to wait for the good outcome that's going to take time to come. <clears throat> now, I want, to, I want to go a little further with the Corinthians. Let's go back to the Corinthians. We know they're fighting, okay? They're quarreling. But the question is, why? What is going on with them that they can't get their act together? What's going on that Paul has to write this letter? So let's go back to them. Chapter 1, he says, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. So this is their problem. They have aligned themselves with a certain leader. And what commentators have kind of pieced together, and it was kind of interesting to, to, to follow the, the story here. What commentators have pieced together is there was likely a power struggle within the Corinthian church. And the question was, whose voice um, is the one that gets the say? Who has the credibility to decide what happens in the church and sets the direction for the church. And so the way they would gain credibility is by claiming allegiance to this one leader and that gave them um, the legitimacy to run the church. I follow Paul. I should be the one. We're the ones that really should call the shots. And so we're not exactly sure what it all means, but I think it's, it could be fruitful for us to do a little reconstruction because I think there's parallels to even how we might find divisions in our hearts today and in the church today and even in our lives, whatever community we're a part of. Because, like, for example, the I follow Paul group, what we know about Paul is he started the Corinthian church. He baptized the first group of people in Corinth. And so they were there in the beginning. They're the starting group. They're the OG group. And so we can, we can see what's going on there a little bit. They have the highest ownership of this church, but maybe, maybe they have a little sense of entitlement. We were here first. We should call the shots. 
We're, we're followers of Paul. He was the first one to come. Or maybe they, Paul came, but then Apollos came after and the churches grew and they were struggling with all the ways it was changing. And so they were trying to hold on to the way it was when, they, when it was started. So that's the I follow Paul group. Then there's the I follow Apollos group. What we know about Apollos, he's a little more Greek, so a little more like culturally relevant to a Corinthian church. He was a dynamic speaker. Paul was kind of an average speaker, actually. Apollos, man, that guy was mind-blowingly good. He was dynamic, exciting, powerful rhetoric, knew the scriptures. So you can imagine the I follow Apollos group. They're the group that says, hey, we know how to be relevant and how to reach this culture. They kind of represent the new and better ways of doing things. So they can tend to maybe look down on the I follow Paul group, the group that was there in the beginning, right? So they have, they know, they maybe are the ones that feel like, we, I know the best way to reach the Corinthian community. I follow Apollos. How about the I follow Cephas? This is the group that wants to always go back to the beginning, the way it was with Jesus and the Jews, right there where all got started. And so they're more the traditionalists. They want the purity of the origin story. And that's how it should be. We just got to do it the way Jesus did it with his disciples. You know, there probably, there might have been a Jewish element to this group. And lastly, the I follow Christ group. This is the group that's like, hey, you guys all got it wrong. This is all a bunch of noise. All we need is Jesus. All we need to do is we have this prophetic gift. We just need to hear from Jesus and forget all this Paul, Apollo stuff. You know, they're just human beings. We just got to follow Jesus. And so this group I refer to, they're the purists. They're the group that wants to protect the integrity of the church. And they want to just get rid of all the outside noise. And it's just about following Jesus. And you'll see that today, right? There are certain, some Christians, sometimes we can be a little bit um, nervous about any kind of influence that comes in outside of the Bible, Right? And so, like, there's big divisions even about how we should do Christian counseling. Should we allow sociology or anthropology or whatever ology into the church? Now, now what Paul says to them is he's going to say, don't you guys know that all of those things are good? Don't you know that Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the growth? And so he's saying, all that stuff is good. All that stuff is how God is forming you. We need the OGs. We need the original group. We need the people who are thinking about how to best reach people and how to grow and change. We need people to have an eye on the way it was in our roots and our traditions. And we need to guard the church from bad influences. We all need all of that. God uses all of that for growth. Why couldn't the Corinthians see that? What was blocking them? Well, actually, there's an interesting um, uh, a, a commentator, a, an atheist. He was a, a, a philosopher, a Greek philosopher, so not a Christian, but he was a um, contemporary. His name was Plutarch. He said, this is, how, this is how he describes what was going on in society at that time. He, observe, he observes that just as young ivy twines itself around a strong tree to gain height... 
You tracking with me? So ivy is looking for something to grow on. So it's going to find a tree. So an obscure person will seek a connection with a person of reputation to be under the shelter of his power and grow great with him in the affairs of the state. What that is saying is that, and I think this is true, that in our hearts, our vine, we want our vine to attach itself to something so we can be great in the affairs of the state. We want our voices to matter. We want to know that we are very important people. In other words, I think the Corinthians were struggling with this need to be distinguished. They wanted to distinguish themselves, and that's what was most important to them. So it wasn't about, hey, all of this is good for growth. It was about seeing their group ascend. If I see Apollos ascend, and he's the one that I'm connected to, I ascend with him. And so it was more about their self-importance. And I have felt this, the need to distinguish myself. I imagine many of you have too. I mean, we live in an age of social media, right? So I have felt, I mean, I remember I was, um, I used to be on Twitter a lot. And did I get a woot? No, I got one woot. That was funny. One person's like, yeah, everyone else is like, oh, no. Um, and you know, I remember I was, I was writing this tweet, and I felt like, I don't know how to say this, like I had to nail it. I had to get it just right, and I needed people to like this tweet. And I wanted to, you know, I was probably on some level wanted to see my followers grow. And so as I'm writing this tweet, my daughter comes in and asks me a very basic question, like, Dad, where's the oatmeal or something? And I like, I like snap at her really intensely. And she cries and I was like, I just was trying to write a tweet. Oh, I was trying to distinguish myself. That's what was going on with that tweet. So my daughter, um, you know, it's kind of funny. She, she, she wanted to go on a walk with me. She's nine years old and she says, Daddy, she goes, Daddy, I know, I know that you, you really care about what you're trying to say. And I know that you, you're in your head a lot and you're thinking deeply about things, Dad. He's, and, but dad, she's, I feel like you, you're not being here with me. And man. So she was right. And so I repented and I actually have not been on Twitter since then because I felt in my heart what was really happening there is that need to distinguish myself. And so all of us have that. All of us have that need to distinguish ourselves and we attach our vine to something. And actually, this is where the Bible's message is a little bit unexpected. The Bible does not condemn the need for you to attach your vine to something. That's not its problem. The whole message of the Bible, the whole message of Christianity is to tell you which tree to attach it to. To tell you the right tree for your vine to grow. And so listen to how Paul addresses our need to boast in something. Listen to how he addresses the way in which he knows, God knows that we are trying to know that our life, 
Our heart is going somewhere great. The Bible knows that, so listen. It's in uh, verse 26, chapter 1. It says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Do you see how he goes right after the insecurity there? Do you see what he's saying? Most of you were obscure. Most of you did not have 50,000 Twitter followers. Most of you did not have a best-selling book on the New York Times. Most of you are not on the big screen. Yet you're chasing that stuff. And so he goes right after it. And let me tell you this. God knows that your soul needs to feel at peace with your life. God's, God knows that your soul needs to feel at rest with your life and your circumstances and who you are. And it wants you to find that. God wants you to have that. He wants you to know your vine is secure and will go grow great into greatness. And he says, this is where it is found. This is how that happens. Verse 27, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, let the one who wants to feel important and distinguished boast in the Lord. And so look at the resources God gives us to have patience. Look at the resources God gives us to love one another with patience. So that we, we put down our need to distinguish ourselves based on something on, of, human, um, uh, of human making, of human creation. Something in this world where there's always something greater. There's always a competing force. And God says, if you're attached to this vine, there's nothing that competes with it. Your soul can be at rest. And so God is saying, don't you know that you were chosen out of obscurity to know true greatness. That's the good news of the gospel. Is that God has chosen you to be attached to the strongest tree of all. The biggest tree of all that's going to take you straight to heaven. And so the point of the gospel is that we would actually show the world We would actually be the ones to say, this is what it means to really boast and to be really content with our lives is that we know that we are in Christ because of him and it was him for us and that that tree that we're attached to is actually cross-shaped. It is shaped like a cross. It is the cross. And so that's when he says, because of him, Because of Jesus, we experience greatness 
in the form of the godliness that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. What this is saying is that because Jesus went to the cross, you don't need to try to prove your worth. You don't need to try to make up for your failures and mistakes. Redemption means that you are actually, the more you are in touch with your failures and your smallness and your weakness, the more you're in touch with that, the more you can learn true wisdom. The more you can learn the righteousness of Christ. And so when, when it, it's only when we embrace our need to be saved can we actually know Jesus Christ who gives us all these things. So it's because of him is because of God choosing us out of obscurity to know true greatness and the godliness that comes from knowing Christ. That's the greatness we should be striving for. The wisdom, the righteousness, the sanctification. That means the change that comes from Jesus. And so how can we live in patience towards one another? I just want to wrap it up by helping flesh out what this can look like. How can we live this out? Well, we know that love is patient, and Paul's going to go on to say that love is patient. Love is not arrogant. And so the opposite of patience comes out of our arrogance. And so love does not lash out when provoked Because God chose us, we know that God chose us and saved us when we were weak, when we had our own failings. So we have no room for arrogance. We have no room for lashing out at others. But I think positively, that's, we know we want to withhold lashing out. I think positively, patience can look like instead of lashing out, we do something called checking our perceptions. This, this phrase has meant something that has helped me be patient. You see, arrogance is an attitude where you think the way you see things is the way it really is. That's, that's actually what arrogance means. Is that your way of viewing the world is the, is the truth, is the way it is. But patience says, you know what, let me find out what was really going on. Let me try to ask some questions. Let me check my perceptions here. So patience looks like saying, hey, can you help me understand why you did that? Or it sounded like you were saying this. Is that true? So patience is lived out when we are willing to not be arrogant. And we're willing to stop and say, let me see if I can understand what was really happening. Maybe the way I was viewing it is wrong. So that's a way we can live out as patience. And also, we know that love is patience, which means that we're willing to hold out for a good outcome. We talked about that. We know that in Christ, our souls are at rest with him. We know our vine is attached to the biggest, best tree that's going to take us all the way to where we long to go in this life. So we can relax a little bit about the dysfunction we're experiencing in this life, about the disappointments and the sufferings we experience in this life. And so what that looks like is something that can be hard for us, but I think patience looks like that we are okay when things are not okay for a period of time. 
And we don't feel like we have to be the fixture and the solver and the savior of every problem because you're just going to kill yourself and you're just going to get frustrated and you're just going to grow what? Impatient. And you're not going to love. And so patience looks like being able to say things are not okay, but my soul is secure in Christ. And so I can be okay with it. Now that doesn't mean, again, it doesn't mean we don't we don't try to address hard things. We just ignore things. But there's this broad willingness to say, I, this, it's okay. I can stay where I am. I can stay with this group. I can hang on there with this person. And so let me just close by reminding us of the point I started out with. Is that love lasts when love is patient. So if we're going to be a community of God's people that lasts, that has a lasting impact, we have to show patience. We have to practice patience with one another. Otherwise, we will grow divided and fall into quarreling. And if we can practice patience, we know that God's power and his glory will be with us. Let me pray. Father God, we um, receive this word from you this morning about love because we love that word, love. Most of us here, most of us in Western culture value love, but Lord, we don't know what that really means. We don't know what that really looks like. Thank you that you showed that to us. When you came to the earth as a man, and you loved us in our failings and our weaknesses. You even died for us. And now you have chosen us and, and made us secure in Christ. And you have attached us to yourself. And you give us true greatness by knowing you and by receiving the godliness that comes from knowing you. Lord, our vine is secure. So let us live in patience towards one another. Not snapping and lashing out at each other for things that provoke us. And Lord, let us live in the patience that, that is able to hold out for what you are doing in this community. What you are able to do through your power. So Lord, because we would live out in love and patience, we would be a community of love that lasts. We pray this in your name. Amen.